The Wheel of Crime podcast is a true crime podcast which contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, this is Megan and I am the host of the Wheel of Crime podcast. I've missed your ears. So sorry for the prolonged absence, you know, life. But I'm back with a new episode. Today's topic being celebrities who have killed. Shout out to listener of the show, Chris Tansy, for the category suggestion. If you want to interact with the show, send me an email to wheelofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Check out the Facebook and Instagram pages, wheelofcrimepodcast at gmail.com as well. If you want to support the show, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Or send monetary support through anchor.fm slash wheelofcrimepodcast. Or PayPal at wheelofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. This episode is dedicated to my cousin, Stephen Jr. You will definitely be missed, but I'm so sorry for your passing. All right, business has been handled. Let's get on with the show. episode is going to be a little bit different. You're going to notice it. Um, I'm going to say um and so a whole lot because normally I write down everything that I'm going to say because I'm kind of OCD that way. But this time I just wrote down an outline so that, that way you can hear me say so and um a whole bunch of times. Did you guys know that they aren't teaching kids how to outline their papers anymore? It's like, dude, what is going on with this generation? Like you put them in a dark, if you really want to confuse them, put them in a dark room with an analog clock and a TV with no remote with rabbit ears that only gets three channels and um, everything has to be written down in cursive. I just, I don't know what's going on these days. So we're going to start this story um, with, um, so, see, <laughs> how many times is that already? Five? We're starting this story with Tom and Jackie Hawk. Hawks. They were a couple out of Arizona. They were a hardworking family. They didn't have a whole lot of money, but they saved up all all that they made and they put their money into really good investments. And by the time they were 50, they were able to retire on a 55-foot trawler, which is just a, like a small little little yacht, and bought it for $300,000. And they named it the Well Deserved. 
which it really was. Now, if you're, I got this most of this information from the 2020 episode that aired on January 17, 2020. Go back and watch it. There's a picture of Tom and Jackie on the bow of the Well Reserve, and it says Prescott, Arizona, down there. Aaron, our music maestro, is from Prescott Valley, Arizona. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But Tom was a very fit guy. Even at 50 years old, he was very muscular. He worked out on the boat all the time because his thought was, well, I have to be able to take care of this boat and Jackie, and you got to be a strong guy to, to kind of handle a boat like that. <laughs> so after two years of sailing around the, the islands and doing what they want to do and being happy, their youngest son, Ryan, uh, and his wife has a baby. And they decide, we want to settle down and we want to help this family raise this little this little grandbaby of ours. So they decide they're going to sell the boat and maybe buy some investment property down in Mexico, you know, just as a little vacation house where everybody can go. Uh, so they, you know, they sell directly. They want to cut out the middleman. So they decide, okay, right before the sell, we're going to, we're going to go sail off to Catalina one more time. And they take their friends and family with them. Jim uh, Hawks, who is Tom's brother, is also on board. And they are so excited. They tell everybody that they're about to sell the boat and that they are selling it to a child, former child actor. But suddenly nobody can reach them. Ryan calls Jim, who is a former police chief in Carlsbad. They go to Newport Beach. They find the well-deserved, but no Tom or Jackie. They didn't find their car, which normally would be in their designated parking spot, but there was no car. Um, they found the well-deserved dinghy at the dinghy dock and it was not tied the way Tom normally ties. It wasn't tied very well. And they didn't, they didn't put the motor down, which on the boat, you, you kind of have to do that to take care of it. All of the evidence suggests something's wrong. Tom always took care of that boat. So when those little things came to light, they knew something was wrong. All the tarps were off. The controls were bare in the sun. And that just wouldn't happen. There was a towel hanging out of the porthole, and they... They kind of looked at it and said, well, this, this is sloppy. This is not Tom and Jackie at all. And this is November 16th, 2004. And everybody starts to backtrack and tracing their last steps. They knew that the buyer was going to be taking a test run of the boat. They know that that actually happened because Jackie called a friend to let him know that they were still at sea, but that they would call them back. Or that, yeah, Tom and Jackie would call them back when they, when they got to land. Tom mentioned to people... Like I said, that he was a former child actor. So Jim leaves a note with his card and his number and says, Hey, listen, I'm a former police officer, police chief. Um, this is my brother and sister, and I can't find them. They're missing. You need to call me. So Jim was contacted by Jennifer DeLeon, who confirms that her and her husband purchased the boat. She was a sweet girl. She was very convincing. She says that they paid for it in cash and that they needed to get, to hold, get a hold of the Hawks also to learn how to use this boat. She said that they were going to go to Mexico, the Hawks were going to go to Mexico, uh, the last that they heard. Jim gets a hold of their accountant, but no money was ever deposited into their account. They wouldn't be able to live in Mexico without this, without this account being set up, without the money in there. So the police start looking into the couple who bought the boat. Now, they find that Skyler was a convicted felon. He was still out on probation for armed burglary. He was also born John Julius Jacobson. Skyler's childhood was pretty rough. In an interview in 2009 with 2020, he says that his father was into drugs. He was always in trouble with the law, and he, was manuf he got pop manufacturing speed. He got Skyler into acting to make money. He used him as a cash cow. Skyler didn't really want to act. 
and he really wasn't that good at it. He kept forgetting his lines, and his dad would scream and yell at him in front of all these people, in front of the director, and nobody could really work. So eventually, he stopped getting gigs, you know. So growing up, Skyler was considered by his father to be a weak and effeminate little boy, and his father hated that. He hated that, and then would beat him up. So Skyler, after this, goes... To the, he joins the Marines, to mostly to impress his dad. He still hates his dad, but he wants to impress him. So to impress him even more, he starts saying that, well, he got into the Marine Corps Force Recon, which is one of the most elite military forces out there. He claims he had all this training and that he has 62, quote, confirmed kills. After the military, though, he changes his name because he doesn't want to be associated with his father. He says that his father is a horrible man, and he doesn't want that name. So eventually, he meets Jennifer Henderson. She comes from a good family. She's kind of the opposite of Skylar. She had a stable home, went to church, graduated high school, very stable environment. But eventually, they meet in person and became inseparable. And after a while, they got married. Uh, Skylar proposed to her in Catalina. They were, like I said, total opposites, but they had a daughter within a year of getting married. They think that they conceived on their honeymoon. Um, they were already deep in debt, though. They were living in the garage of her parents, and she was pregnant again. So soon after the birth of her daughter. How on earth could they afford a 50-foot yacht at this point? That's what they're all wondering. Like, what's going on here? So on November 29, 2004, this is 12 days after the Hawks go missing, a search warrant is issued for the yacht. Now, they find it messy. They find uh, all kinds of stuff just strewn about, which is not in Tom and Jackie's character whatsoever. But also, amid all the debris, they find a target receipt that reads sort of like a clean kit. Uh, it's got bleach, it's got Tums, and it's got trash bags. So they go to the Target store, and the security pulls up a video of a heavyset man making this purchase. The cops are like, who the hell is this clown? You know, so this guy turns out to be Steve Henderson. That's Jennifer's father. The cops ask him about the purchase, and he says, yeah, Jennifer asked me to bring this stuff to him. They just bought a boat, so they want to clean it up. There's a lot of trash on it. And they're going, you know, okay. So they ask, you know, Steve, where are the kids now? And they're down the street cleaning a church. Cops feel a little bit easier. It's a Christian family. They're in church. How bad could they be? But Jennifer says they are trying to find the Hawks, too. Uh, they still have a whole bunch of their stuff on board, and they still don't know how to use some of the controls. But Skyler said that they had signed all the paperwork. Um, everything was on the up and up. The police want copies, right? So all the documents appear legitimate. Everything's notarized. All of the signatures match. Everything looks amazing. The next day, Skyler agrees to come in for a formal interview. Now, he appeared genuinely concerned. But how did he get $500,000 for a boat when he can barely make ends meet, right? He tells the cops that this, that, hey, you've looked into my past, I'm sure you know that felony that I've got. Well, it was not just armed burglary, it was a drug money ripoff. So he's got all this money and he wants to use it for his family, but he can't because it's drug money and it could be traced. But he can't go to Mexico because he's on probation. So... In that interview, he's admitting to laundering money. But to them, they're like, well, that seems legit. Who is going to say that to the cops unless it's true, right? Who's going to admit that? So Skylar and Jennifer go out. They test drive the boat. 
they love it. And they decide, okay, we're going to make an offer. So they call the Hawks and they say, we're ready to do this. Let's make this transaction. So he and Jennifer go down to the 15th Street dock and make the transaction in the parking lot. He says it's all cash, $100 bills in the stacks. And the cop is asking him, what are the bills? Are they 20s, 50s? He says, nope, they're all $100 bills in bundles. That raises a huge red flag because what kind of drug dealer just has $100 bills all wrapped up like a bank? No drug dealer they've ever met. So they're going, okay, Skyler said that Tom was excited but nervous after seeing all that money. They quickly exchanged the money, the cash, the papers, and the Hawks drove off after telling Skyler and Jennifer that they were going to be buying uh, property down in Mexico with this money so that they had a vacation home. He played it very convincing for the detectives. Just as the interview starts to conclude, however, the police kind of drop a bombshell. They have video of Skyler and Jennifer at a bank trying to withdraw money from the Hawks' Arizona account. Why are you trying to take their money? What's up with that? Skyler says, nope, I have power of attorney. But how? Why? You know, the cops are like, their family said no way would they ever do that because it gave Skyler complete control of all of their assets. So that bank manager had alerted their accountant who alerted the police. The manager took one look at that document, even though it looked legit, and said, no way am I giving these guys access to those accounts. Skyler <laughs> says that they wanted to buy property in Mexico, but they couldn't unless, number one, you're a citizen, or number two, you have established residency and have a bank account. He told the Hawks that he has experience buying property and that he has dual citizenship, even though he's on probation and he can't go down there, but Hawks don't know that. So Skyler says that he has witnesses, right? He says that present was himself, Jennifer, their daughter Haley, Tom and Jackie Hawk, Hawks, the notary Kathleen Harris, and his friend Alonzo Machane. Now Alonzo and Skyler had known each other from when Alonzo was a guard at the same jail where Skyler was staying. And he was also on a work release program, so they would hang out on these days of release and have pizza and stuff and isn't that kind of like a violation it's it's really weird I don't think that they should do that but anyway they interview Alonzo and Alonzo tells him the same story you know Kathleen Harris was the notary she was an upstanding person never been in trouble she seemed uh, seemed on the up and up she tells a similar story she just watched it happen notarized the documents and everybody went their separate ways so here the police have two missing people all the witnesses are telling the same story. There's no real evidence of a crime. Not really. Even though they suspect something's happened, they really can't say that anything makes sense at this point. Why aren't they finding the Hawks? So they decide they're going to do something they don't normally like to do, but they will do as a last resort. They go to the media. On December 13, 2004, Ryan and the police sergeant, Steve Shulman, went on the air to plead for help locating Ryan's parents. They expressed that they felt if they found their car, which was a, I think it was an SUV, a Ford or something, um, then they would find the Hawks. So they posted a picture of the vehicle and posted a phone number. Hey, if you see anything, call. The next day, they get a call from a woman in a trailer park in San Miguel, Mexico, and said she's looking at the car right now. So the cops rush down there, almost in relief, because they're thinking, dude, 
we found the car, we're going to find them, everything's going to be fine, everything is just like they said, and it's just a big misunderstanding. So December 16th, they arrive and talk to the owner of the home, but he says it's not his car, it belongs to a friend of his, Skylar de Leon. So right then the cops know, yeah, hawks are dead. They took the car back to the station. So the man who lives at the house says that Skylar was a friend of his son's and that he had given them a, he had given them the car um, a few weeks back. Now the same day that the cops go get the car, Skylar comes to the to the police station with his daughter because you know you can't arrest a man with a baby. The cops confront him with everything, and Skylar starts to to kind of get nervous. He, his veneer is breaking. Baby senses it. She spits up on him. The interview then ends. But he's not out of the woods yet. The next day, they arrest him on suspicion of money laundering. And he's crying at the court hearing. It's it's really spectacular. You can't... <laughs> now, here here's kind of where he messed up because they couldn't have arrested him on suspicion of murder because there's no evidence tying him to a murder. They don't even know that Tom and Jackie are dead. And you admit that you did something illegal to make it seem legitimate but they're going to arrest you on that thing to hold you until they can figure out what the hell you did. So anyway, they go and they search the garage apartment um, where they're living and they find Tom and Jackie's laptop and the Hawks video camera, which has the Hawks home movies on them. And then they, it cuts. And at the end, there's Skylar and Jennifer's Thanksgiving family dinner on video. Now, they're wondering at this point, what the hell is Jennifer's involvement in this? Something's going on. She can't not know. But during this search, the cops also find a business card of an L.A. detective named Joe Bahanna. He's assigned to Interpol, and they want to know why they found the card of an L.A. detective in their murder suspect's home. They then learn about a man named John Jarvey, who was found dead with his throat slit on the side of the road in Mexico. They suspected Skyler because they knew each other in prison. John had stayed in contact with Skyler. Skyler had promised him a big score, told him, you know, I've got all these big investments down in Mexico. You just give me $50,000. I'll take you down there and we'll set this stuff up. So he does. He gets a hold of him. They drive to Mexico while Skyler's on work release and somehow gets him down into a ravine and slits his throat. He specifically took him down there to kill him for the money. There were no investments. He was just, he was conning him the whole time. So he was questioned, but the investigation stalled until the Hawks went missing. So they go back to Kathleen Harris. She says she was there. She witnessed everything. The cops say no way. She didn't witness anything. There's no way she could have. They interview her about four or five different times before a different cop calls her in to talk to her. She starts to say after being pressed really hard now she's 90% positive that this happened and, she, and he's not buying it he says no you're either 100% positive or you are a flat-out liar you either know you saw it or you didn't then she starts well I was 80% sure he knows she's lying but they can't break her they let her go eventually she gets an attorney and she says now that she didn't witness it after Lori ring up so then they go back to re-interview Alonzo Machane, and what he tells them blows the investigation wide open. So Alonzo starts out by saying that Skyler had told him that he was a hitman and that he only killed bad people. 
And he says that what he does is he takes them out to sea and pushes them overboard. Because that way he doesn't have to get blood on his hands. And that somebody had taken out a hit on Tom Hawks and his wife, Jackie. So he promises Alonzo a million dollars just to kill the couple and get all the money. So this this account is based on Alonzo's account. And this they really believe that this is what happened. So everything I'm going to tell you is coming from the testimony of Alonzo Machine. So Tom had worked in corrections before and was familiar with ex-cons. He was immediately suspicious of these two. So Skylar has Jennifer bring Haley down to meet the couple to put them at ease because, you know, babies, you know, and, and I mean, instantly this baby charms Jackie. And this is considered the linchpin of the deal because had he not had Jennifer bring Haley down and put her a little bit at ease, she never would have agreed to this. Tom wouldn't have agreed to this. So because of Jennifer's involvement bringing Haley down, they agree. So Skylar realizes after meeting Tom the first time, he can't take Tom by himself. So he gets a friend who's, get this, his name is John F. Kennedy. I'm not making this shit up. He's a big man. He is a Long Beach gang member with a history of violence. And he is the muscle of this whole scheme. So on board now is Alonzo. Skyler, John, Jackie, and Tom. They're all doing this test drive. Their plan was to get Tom and Jackie apart. So Skyler and Kennedy go downstairs with Tom for some reason. Jackie and Alonzo are upstairs, I guess in the kitchen or something. Jackie hears the commotion. She goes to head downstairs. Alonzo restrains Jackie while Skyler and JFK, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say JFK, uh, cuff Tom. They make them lay down side by side on the bed. Jackie is pleading and begging. No, how could you do this to us? We trusted you. They tied the couple together. Now, Alonzo also says that Tom comforts her during this, stroking her hand, saying it doesn't matter. We'll be together no matter what happens. And that's just, it's sad. They are each forced to sign over their accounts and their bank accounts to them. Uh, Skylar's telling him, hey, if you do this, we'll let you live. You know, all you got to do is just give me all your money. Uh, Jackie signs her name wrong. She always signed it, you know, Hawks with an S, and there's a specific way she signed the S. Well, on the on these statements, or on these documents, she signed it Hawk with no S. Somebody went back and put the S in there. Not like the way that Jackie normally does it. So they could see right there, this is a big red flag. They The, the guys take the couple to the deepest part of the water. They handcuff the two to a rope, that's attached to an anchor. Tom makes a last ditch effort, kicks Skylar in the groin, and Skylar gets up, gives a little chuckle, and just tosses the anchor over. With this, Jackie and Tom are pulled out into the ocean, still alive. And Alonzo says that when they're being pulled out, he could hear the back of Jackie's head crack against the side of the boat. Skylar shouts, woohoo, and watches until he sees no more. They drink Tom's beer and then act like nothing happened. I want you to, I want you just to imagine just for a second that this happened to you or you're watching something like this happen. They are sucked out into the sea off of their own boat alive. And that's how they drown. Yeah, they're together, but how awful. God, how awful. That was so gut-wrenching to me when I heard about it. So they didn't really have that much evidence to arrest Jennifer because she stood by him. 
saying that he was completely innocent. But some thought she was pure evil. She was, she had to be the mastermind. Others thought that she was simply his victim. They offered her full immunity if she would testify against him. And she said no. Eventually, she was arrested and tried separately. Jennifer went first. She said she feared Skylar would kill her. But the evidence eventually showed, and, and everybody knew this too, everybody even testified to this, that Jennifer was the one in control. Skylar did nothing without Jennifer's say-so. Jennifer pulled all his strings. He called her at every turn. When they got there to the marina, he called her. And, the, and they went through on, on her phone records and can see that this actually happened. He got on the boat. He called her. They threw the hawks overboard. He called her. They got back to the marina. He called her. You get the point. So eventually, she was convicted of murder and got life in prison. Now, was money the only motive? I mean, yeah, okay, I can see money being a big motive, but was there another underlying factor for Skylar? During the investigation, Skylar's gender identity kept coming up as a possible motive, that he was wanting to get transgender surgery. Now, one day, he was rushed to the hospital while he's in, in the prison because he tried to cut off his penis. He wrapped a bed sheet around it as much as he could until the blood flow cut off and uh he said he was unsuccessful he still has this his penis good he has he said flat out that he has always wanted to be a woman because he identifies more with women uh in, it's it's really funny because in one of those interviews he's sitting here saying he doesn't want to be in prison with men because he's more comfortable around women i have more in common with women well we don't get to choose when we're being punished we get what we get anyway Let's go back to this. So the cops found a receipt to a surgeon for a $500 deposit towards gender reassignment surgery from before the crime was committed. So they feel that the five, the $50,000 that he got from John Jarvie's murder, that that was going towards the surgery, as well as what he was going to take from the Hawks account. Now, at their trial, the defense attorney starts, starts the whole defense by going to the flipboard, and he flipped the first page, which said... Skylar de Leon is guilty of all three murders. It was kind of a, a, a tactic, but he says that he didn't want to refute that he was guilty because he was guilty. But he felt that if he tried to fool the jury by saying, no, he wasn't guilty, he, he wouldn't listen to any of the, they would not listen to the rest of his evidence. So he says, we're going to start there. He is guilty, but this is why he did it. The attorney says that, Skyler was abused as a boy, both physically, emotionally, and sexually by his father, and was abandoned by all that he loved. He just wanted to get sympathy. Skyler, during this whole thing, came off like a spectacular liar. I mean, even some of the cops said he was the best liar that he ever, that they ever came across. Maybe he really was a good actor, after all. But in the end, he still ended up murdering three people. He honestly still sees himself as a good as a good person who made a bad decision. A bad decision. I can see one but three people you do it again and again. That's not a bad decision. You're a bad person. So the jury convicted him on all charges and recommended death. And I think eventually it was commuted to life, but I'm not really sure that the episode did not go into it very much. Uh, JFK was also sentenced to death, but Alonzo ended up getting 20 years for cooperating with the police. If not for his testimony, 
they would not have been able to put all the pieces of this together. So get this, guys. <laughs> While he's in jail, Skylar was able to go through hormone therapy and has petitioned uh, for surgery. He's also changed his name from Skylar Julius de Leon to Skylar Preciosa de Leon. Family, cops, and friends say he shouldn't be allowed to get his way. People are dead because he wanted this surgery, and that should not give him just cause to have what he wants. I know this is a hot-button issue. I am all for gender rights. If you want to be whoever you want to be, that's great. But if you murder somebody to make that happen, not just one somebody, but three somebodies in horrific ways, you, you, you've taken a life away to get what you want. I mean, that's you shouldn't be allowed to get what you want eventually. So he's in a female jail, and he's also transitioning over to being a female. That's what he wanted the whole time. Now we have to pay for it as taxpayers. And I don't think that that's right. So what do you guys think? Send me an email, let me know, and uh, get ready for that spin, because here we go. All right, guys, guess what time it is? It's time for that spin. Here we go. All right, looks like next time we're going to be talking about mass murders. You lucky mugs. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Wheel of Crime podcast. I am so sorry it's taken so long to get this to you. I'm going to try my best never to let that happen again, but, you know, life. Um, next episode is going to be mass murders. It's going to be fun. Plus, we're still going to have the bonus episode for the I-65 killer, the one that Marcy Kelly had decided she wanted to listen to. But she's going to be my co-host on that episode, so that'll be fun. Look forward to that. And guess what? She's my mom, so it's going to be awesome. Um, also, I recorded this episode probably about five times due to sound quality. If the sound quality sucks, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. I had to get chase my cats out of the room several times. And my rooster won't stop crowing back there. I don't know why. I just went into a British accent. So anyway, you guys have a great day. Great week. Be safe. Be good. Wash your hands. And don't be a dick. Show's over, though. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so sorry that I took so long in between episodes, but I promise I won't do it again. I promise I gotta go check for eggs. I gotta go get my rooster off my chicken, man. He keeps raping her.